0: Father, we thank you so much uh, for your only son, Jesus, uh, who wept and bled for us. Thank you for his sacrifice on the cross, his suffering, that the King of Glory should come and give himself on our behalf. Lord, we praise you and thank you. Thank you so much for the time this morning that we've had to worship you thus far. We pray that you continue to direct our hearts. And uh, help our minds to focus, help me to be able to concentrate, and uh, Lord may it bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Welcome here, my name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. Wasn't that a great set, amen? Amen, that was good. Uh, Thank you so much, Dan and Josh and team, Todd and others. We're super thankful for your hard work that makes it possible for us to focus On Christ this morning. We want to continue that focus in Mark chapter 15 as we have two more sermons left in the book of Mark, Um, walking that series all the way up to the cross and the resurrection next Sunday, which is Easter. Today is traditionally labeled Palm Sunday. Uh, This Friday, we'll have a Good Friday service and then we'll celebrate the resurrection on Sunday. But basically, I want to line out this passage in Mark chapter 15 with these three. Uh, road markers, if you will, these stops along the way. And these three marks, we will call the cloth, the curtain, and the king. The cloth, the curtain, and the king. One more time, just for fun. The cloth, the curtain, and the king. Uh, Follow along as we read. If you have a Bible, if you don't, the words are up on the screen. Mark chapter 15, beginning verse 37. It says this, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Now, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger Now, Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether Jesus was already dead. And when Pilate learned from the centurion that Jesus was dead, Pilate granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph of Arimathea bought a linen shroud. And taking Jesus down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And Joseph rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Beginning with the first, the cloth. Um, this is in reference to verse 46, where Joseph of Arimathea uh, bought a linen shroud and taking, took Jesus down from the cloth, cross, wrapped him, wrapped him in the cloth, and laid him in the tomb. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus has been wrapped in something and laid in something. If you remember Luke chapter 2, when he was born, Mary wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Many commentators will point out the connection between these two things of the son who was born to die, a great symbolism. The, the claws could have been different. There's all kinds of details that people argue about. But at the end of the day, the picture is clear. Jesus, the son of God, was born to die. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, it says, she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. Now there is still no place for him, and this time it's not in an end, but in a tomb. But it's not Mary, instead it's Joseph of Arimathea, who is taking him down, wrapping him, and laying him in something. Now Joseph was a very brave man at this point, because he's a member of the leading council who just put Jesus to death, and obviously hated Jesus greatly, so he's outing himself, sort of saying, hey, powers that be, I'm... Against your decision, I'm giving up my political position, my influence, my power, my affluence, whatever else that was of value to most people within the community. He just sacrificed at the cross. This, you might say, was his sacrifice of praise, his opportunity to spend something on behalf of the one who just spent himself for him. So he buys, he gives he does what he can do and takes the actual body of Christ. Now, one of the interesting pictures here, we in our church call the Lord's Supper communion. We call it, uh, others call it the Eucharist. Some people call it uh, the table. But at the end of the day, it's a remembrance of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And some people believe that it's fully the body and blood. I'm, I'm of the opinion that it's symbolic Others or somewhere in between there. But however you interpret that, pat, that, that command of Christ, what you should know is interesting. Jesus has already instituted the Lord's Supper. And before even the disciples are taking it, here is someone who is literally taking down the body of Christ. He's going to bury it and put him in a tomb. And it's a beautiful picture of what is happening on our behalf, that Jesus is dying and paying the price. He would not have been wrapped. He wouldn't have been laid in a tomb. None of this process would ever have gone forward if Jesus wasn't truly dead. Some people like to propose that he swooned, but it's just not true. So the first thing I want to point out is the cloth, the cloth that symbolizes the son who was born to die. The second is the curtain, the curtain in verse 38. It says that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. One of the commentaries that I read, written by David Garland, says this. He says, the sound of ripping is heard throughout the gospel. And perhaps we could ask ourselves the question, where is the first time that we remember something being torn? Does anyone remember? I don't necessarily expect you to, but it, here's a hint. Jesus' baptism, the heavens were ripped open and we heard the voice of the Lord coming down in glory and affirming his son. Not only at the baptism, but also when Jesus confesses to the high priest in, he's asked are you the Messiah and he says I am and you will see the son of man coming in the clouds of glory and then the high priest rips his clothes and now here at the death of Christ you hear the ripping again and this is sort of the the new wine in the old wineskin this is the new covenant bursting forth what there was before the law and the prophets cannot contain what has come now and as a result God has exploded onto the scene and things are bursting and breaking. The heavens are ripping apart. And so, too, with the curtain or temple veil. Now, for those of us not wrapped up in that culture, what that means is this. Uh, In the Exodus, in the Old Testament, God wanted to go with his people. His presence would accompany them. But God cannot be in the presence of sin, otherwise he has to punish it. So in order for him to go with his people, he's got to set up a little bit of a barrier to protect them from his holiness. And that's what he does through this traveling tent mechanism called the tabernacle. There is, it's basically a rectangle, and it's like a tent. They're traveling through the wilderness, so it's not a big structure. There's a rectangle, which is basically just a a linen wall that goes around the thing. And then there's the tent, so then there's a courtyard in there, and there's the brazen altar and the bronze laver where they wash and perform sacrifices. And then there's the tent, which has two rooms. The first is the holy place. The second is the Holy of Holies. Now, only the highest of highest priests can go in the Holy of Holies one day a year after this elaborate ceremony called the Day of Atonement. Now, in order for that to happen, he's going to have to, Go through in that inner sanctuary a final veil. And that veil is the thing that protects people from the glory and grandeur of God. And what happens here in this symbolic thing is even though they weren't in a tabernacle. At this time they would have been a temple. It's no longer mobile but it's stationary so it has actual walls. But the holy of holies still would have been separated from the holy place. By a curtain. When Jesus dies. That curtain of it's own accord. Actually God's divine power. Is ripped asunder. And what that does. Is it shows that no longer. Is there a separation between humanity. And the holiness of God. But because of the sacrifice of Christ. It's not just the high priest. That goes in there once a year. But it's every single person ever. Who believes in Jesus. Can walk directly in. To the presence of God. Amen. Thank you. That's a big deal. It's hard. It's easily lost on us because we're evangelical, egalitarian, not in theology, but just we're flat structure, democracy, everyone's equal, blah, blah, blah. But in this society, in this context, you don't go into God's presence. And all of a sudden, boom, things are torn apart. And now you're in the temple of the king. I remember reading a story once about john f kennedy when he was president and you can imagine getting to the president is not an easy task i mean there's secret service people at the door there's his staff and there's a secretary and yet at the time he had young children and so the great irony was you know if anyone else burst into the oval office they're tackled and suppressed and you know put on the floor but his daughter with the door closed could come running into the meeting at any time she wanted (laughs) because that was her house. That's where she lived, and that's where she played, and she'd climb up on the desk and have fun with dad, and that's the deal. Even even in my tiny, 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 tiny microcosm of a little world of that, in the offices at church, usually I try not to close my door, but sometimes there's a phone call or prayer or study or pressure or deadline that I have to close my door and I close it and I'm working hard and you know people come by the door and they kind of get the idea like the door is closed so I may see some people like peek through the window a little bit and kind of looking in like oh what's going on there (laughs) you know and and that tells them what the signal is right like what do they do but I've been in my office and not knowing it, my daughter's dropped off at church, and all of a sudden, wham! The door flies open, and somebody's bouncing in the room. Ha! Ah, what just happened? Somebody ran into the room with no regard whatsoever for social protocol or anything else, and boom! There she is, because it's her dad. Who cares? This is what Jesus did for us on the cross in uniting us to the Father. We can now burst into the room in such a way as to not even be concerned about what might happen. That is absolutely incredible. Hebrews chapter 10 says it like this. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, the bursting that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest, not, not just the old school Aaronic thing, but the new Jesus over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of our faith. Sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast then to the confession of our hope without wavering for he, not we, but he who promised, is faithful. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone on our behalf. Through him we have access to the Father and in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Amen. In 1731, there was a young man by the name of um, William Copper who came into the world. Um, And he lived until exactly 1800. His life was one of great turmoil. At an early age, he was directed by his father to study law. And upon completion of his studies, however, the prospect of appearing for his final examination caused him to be so anxious that he had a mental breakdown and even contemplated committing suicide. In 1764, when he was 33 years old, he was placed in an insane asylum for 18 months. I would not want to be there in 1764. During this detention, he one day read Romans 3.25, which said, Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, received by faith, This shows God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Copper soon developed a personal relationship with Jesus and a sense of forgiveness of sins and as a result, wrote a beautiful hymn with incredible imagery based on Zechariah chapter 13. Zechariah 13.1 says, on that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. He titled it, Peace for the Fountain Opened. But you probably know it better by the title, There is a Fountain. The hymn says, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty state. Lose all their guilty stains. Amen. Ephesians 2.13 says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, outside the courts, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. So there is a cloth, his burial. There is the curtain that is ripped asunder. And now there is the king. Verse 39 tells us that it was the centurion who stood facing him. What a position, right? If you're supervising a crucifixion, how tough do you have to be to sit there and watch this guy without turning your face away? The centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way Jesus breathed his last and said, truly, this man was the son of God. Now, the centurion has probably seen a thing or two in his time and indeed he knows uh, what is regal authority and what is not what is a king what is a champion and what is a loser and in this instance what the cross does is what we have said it did last week it is not only atoning but it is also revelatory it not only covers our sin and shame it also shows us who Jesus is by lifting him, him up. As a result, the irony is that an enemy of Jesus is the very first one to declare Jesus the son of God. An enemy declares Jesus God. That's what the gospel does. The gospel takes those who oppose Christ and brings them near Through his death, burial, and as we'll see next week, resurrection. Romans 5.10 says it like this. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we live by his life. Do you remember how the gospel of Mark began? We're coming full circle all over again. We talked about the swaddling clothes. I was in Luke. But now look at what Mark says when he starts his gospel. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The son of God. Stated at the beginning and proved at the end. This is the good news of the victory of Jesus Christ. Remember the gospel church, what we said it was? We said it was a formal announcement whereby a conquering hero enters into hostile territory, confronts the enemy, beats him back, takes what was stolen, and returns in triumph. What is this? Jesus, King Jesus, the only begotten son of the living God, Has entered into the hostile territory of sin and death. He has confronted the enemy. Beat him. And shamed him. And is taking back what was stolen. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. And put them to open shame. By triumphing over them at the cross. 1 Timothy 3.16 says this. Great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. Vindicated by the spirit. Seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Perhaps the only way that I know to end this is with the words of another hymn writer. His name is Philip Bliss, and he says it like this. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruin sinners to reclaim, hallelujah, what a savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place he stood condemned. Sealed my pardon with his blood, hallelujah, what a savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be, hallelujah, what a savior. Lifted up was he to die, it is finished was his cry, now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah, what a savior. When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransom home to bring. Then anew this song will sing. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Father, we thank you and praise you for our Savior, your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for the gift of his suffering, his body and blood, which cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we praise you that all he has, he gives to us, and we are yours in him. We pray, Lord, as we sing and offer our sacrifice of praise, that you would bring honor and glory to your name, both through our acts of singing and through our acts of living. May we worship you in Jesus' name.